it was getting here holy baboy it was just I like walk from the kitchen with my <laughs> yeah, look at you that's awesome that's awesome you know what i found out is equator coffee they have this um uh, you know points program where you can you're in points and you get free coffee or stuff you can't you you have to use the app to do that. You can't yeah. do it in the store. And to use the app means you're gonna have a single use coffee cup. There's no way to order through the app and say I want to use my own mug. Oh, that makes sense. Because they will gonna their whole idea is to perf- to do it in, a, in advance so that you walk in and get it. Right. Right. And no one has uh, bothered to explain that to them. Well, um, it makes me super stoked for Community Reusables that is coming close to going public and um, the ability to... Community Reusables to places like Equator Coffee so that they give people reusable cups instead of... Right, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And then for me, I had to get COVID tested this morning. So I had an appointment in Corte Madera. I get there, the woman at the van, like a you know remote clinic, movable. Anyway, she's all we're down. I we can't do the testing. If you want to wait an hour and forty five minutes, and I was like, no. She goes, um, you could go to Sausalito or San Anselmo. They know we're down, so you could just go there. I was like, all right, and I've been to San Anselmo before. I go there. All the road work rerouted me, so I couldn't just drive into San Anselmo. I was like, ah, fuck. So when I was texting with you, and you're like, hey, I don't have a link yet. I'm like, ah, shit, I forgot to schedule it. Damn it. Right, so full chaos mode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, fuck. Like, I feel so ungrounded in this moment. Like, what the shit is going on? Yeah. And, and I was totally stoked to record this episode because yesterday I was thinking like, all right, yeah, we're scheduled to record and I was happy and I fucking forgot to schedule it. You were so happy it took care of itself. Well, yeah. And here we are. It all worked. Yeah, it did you all got work. Got your test. Got my test. We're talking. Technology <laughs> is recording. Those I'm firing you, Art. We're not firing Art. He got you yeah. here. Yeah, but he forgot to schedule the episode, so he's fired. We need a new producer. Okay, I understand. We'll uh, get his cousin fart. (laughs) Is that a step back? (laughs) Well, it depends if he has to be in the studio with us or not. Because if he does, he better step back. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you feeling? I mean, you're testing for COVID, but how are you feeling? 
I feel fine. There's just a little bit of residual sore throat, um, but that could be from spring allergies. My yeah. taste and smell is back. Beautiful. Actually, my smell isn't completely back. My taste is back, though. This cup of coffee tastes delicious. Yes. Thank you, coffee. Did you make that coffee? No, I rode my bike to get it. Oh, nice. All right. I didn't ride to Fairfax, but I did buy my reusable metal clean canteen from the coffee roastery in Fairfax, California. That's awesome. And you brought it with you. Yeah. Because uh, I carried all that shame from last week with me. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not doing that again. That's good. I'm glad. I think that is helpful shame. It is. It is. Yeah. I even like was having such a morning this morning. I was thinking of stopping at like a Starbucks or some coffee place. And I just was like, no, because I've got to go in with my reusable and I just don't have time for that. So I'll make coffee when I get home. And you did. And here you are. You did it. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's a full moon and an eclipse today. Yeah, it's a blood moon. No, I heard it was a flower moon. It's a blood moon because it's going to be. It's a it's a Menzies moon. Well, yes. And, you know, what's interesting because it's women's period cycle day. Uh, Today, is there a better name for that? Yeah. Bloody Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure it wasn't last week? Yes, I'm positive. Okay. All right, let's look it up. Women's period cycle. Oh, no, you know what? Wait a second. Am I totally off my... White man is again talking out of his ass. Um, it's sometimes referred to women as being in their moon, so it wouldn't surprise me that, that that's what you thought. But it's a blood moon. It's a full moon. It's a Taurus eclipse. Yeah, I think that was the art. Now I'm looking at um, Art's notes. He said, wouldn't it be funny to tie in women's period cycle conversation with the fact that it's a blood moon tonight? Which we did, but it's not an official. It's not a right, right. There's no women in the world did not sync up their menstrual cycles to be on their period today. Thank goodness. And no one is asked to, to celebrate it with a day set aside to commemorate the menstrual cycle. I think men in general um, need to be more aware of it, one. And two, you know, it's sort of odd. I'm not sure women would want it to be celebrated. Some would, maybe. Well, some do celebrate it, for sure. Yeah. And uh, it's not dirty. It's actually a purging. It's a cleaning. It's a It's a good thing. I saw a woman comic doing a bit about if men had periods instead of women, would women be so kind? She's like, I don't think we would. I don't think we'd be like, Frank, get the fuck off my couch. What the hell are you doing? You can only wow. stand on linoleum for the next seven days. Holy crap. Yeah, that was good. She was fine. Well, fortunately, that's not how nature constructed us. And, uh, I had a mom and two sisters growing up and I just want to say how, and girlfriends and wives and all, you know, at 59, I've had a lot of experience with women and their cycle and 
you know, my hat goes off to out to you because I am so glad I didn't have to deal with that in my life. Your little vulva hat. I don't have a little vulva hat. <laughs> you have a big vulva hat. <laughs> and my, <we> begin. <laughs> my my vulva hat. <laughs> it's a poem by Mark Went. <laughs> yeah. Hey, for those of you I in California. Around nine o'clock tonight will be the peak of the lunar eclipse. So that's we are, Eastern time. No, it's it's Western. I looked it up. Okay. It's Pacific it begins time. It's at nine Eastern and it peaks. It peaks nine PM Pacific time. Okay. For us here. Tonight. Yeah. So that'd be midnight in New York. So it's the moon will darken. Yeah. You know what? Like Sausalito would be a, well, actually it'll be up pretty high. Yeah. Sausalito would be a badass place. You know, that bench that's right there at the south end of Sausalito. Yeah. yeah. That'd be pretty rad. I wonder if Bodhi would be up for doing that or anyone. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. What made you decide to name him Bodhi? Name her Bodhi? Name her Bodhi. Um, well, Liz and I, for all three children, did not want to know the gender. Hmm. So um, for Robin and Bodhi, a name was chosen that could go either way. And um, for me, it was like Bodhisattva, you know? It just, that was, that was it. And do you mean that in a spiritual sense or do you mean that in the, um, the sense of, uh, the, uh, Steely Dan song? Isn't there a song about, um, yes. Yeah. That was a trick question. Hey, Siddhartha, sit down. Biatch. (laughs) (laughs) Buddha, biatch. (laughs) Um, yeah, she is, she is, uh, Bodhisattva, in yeah. my mind, in my eyes, and and uh, the, the the Bodhi tree is where that comes from, which is a fig tree. Was it a fig tree? According to what I read today. Oh, really? Yeah. Is there anything with Buddha for today? Yeah, today is. Vesak or Vesak, depending on how you pronounce it, which is the festival commemorating the birth, enlightenment, and death of the Buddha, Siddhartha oh. Gautama Buddha, or Shaka Shakamuni, the former prince of Iran. Well, from what I read, he he wasn't born in what's now Iran. It's uh, somewhere south of in, in, near India. Oh, okay. And he was born in south of India. He was born in the water. <laughs> he was he was <laughs> south of China in India. Oh. Yeah. And uh, he was born a prince to a king. And his, yeah. his father was given a prophecy that he would either become a great king or a great a leader, a great spiritual leader. And uh, his father wasn't apparently wasn't too into philosophy and that sort of thing. So he tried to keep him you know, inside the palace. And he, he kept him very, very sequestered till he was right. He didn't want him to see any pain of the world. He wanted him to just have this blissful life. And finally, um, 
Siddhartha Gautama at that point said, I've got to see something. I've just been stuck in this palace forever. And so the king arranged for him to do a tour of the, of the capital city, but he prepped everyone in this and told them all to leave all the old people and all the suffering people to be out of the way of the Buddha. (laughs) He wasn't the Buddha yet. It was just Siddhartha then. And so it was like, all right. And as he was touring around the town, he saw a couple of old people who had gotten astray and, they got out (laughs) they weren't allowed to be out and they were out and so he followed them and when he followed them he found people that were aged and sick and dying yeah and uh it changed his worldview he'd never seen suffering before and uh the story goes that he would then chose at that point at 29 years old to leave his wife and child behind and go on the path of asceticism and discovery of his spiritual path. And, uh, that's That's what you read today. Yeah. I heard a different story. Well, in my, I don't know if I heard it or I made it up, but I heard at the age of 12, he peeked over the palace wall and saw suffering. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder, I could have just made that up in my head, carried it around for decades as reality. Well, he might have become curious at the age of 12, but finally got uh, allowed to leave. On, at 29. Right. And when he got back from what the tour, mama's boy. he was know. like, I'm done. Gotcha. I'm going to go out and, and go study with the philosophers and study with the aesthetics. And so aesthetics. And as I heard it, he went out and he um, went to Kismet. No, he Kismet. Yeah. Everyone of any spiritual knowledge goes got it from kismet okay fine <laughs> how do you spell that in um sanskrit by the way q u <laughs> one of the great things i love about this story is that there's this secret aspect of the name uh that i'll tell you in a little bit which i think is fantastic it's a buddha yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you in a, at the, in a little while what why that's significant. But um, after six years, he had gotten super, super skinny and denied himself so much, and he realized that that wasn't the way, that that wasn't the secret to the answer for suffering. Right. But, More suffering is not the cure for suffering. Right. <clears throat> and so he started looking for something called the middle way. And as he was, you know, he started to take again baths and take food and water and drink and sit under the Bodhi tree. And one morning he saw on the full moon, the rising of the morning star. And apparently that was when he achieved um, enlightenment and became the Buddha. Yeah, but right. Wasn't there also a challenge of the demons, like 12 challenges of these demon entities that were challenging him to just like Jesus was challenged by Satan out in the desert, you know, that Siddhartha was offered world power and beautiful women. And we had that apparently when he was in his twenties, he had, well, right. But like he was offered, there were temptations offered to him, I believe. And, The story that I, now this I have, now this I know I didn't make up, that the final 
questioning of whether he was worthy of enlightenment was asked of him. And he realized he couldn't answer that because he was still in an ego state. And he touched the earth, and the earth answered for him and said, yes, he is worthy. And then enlightenment was given to him. Arose, arose within him. Well, it's like gifted is my understanding. The divine nature of things, that final step of enlightenment is gifted to a being. And there were 12 tests prior to that moment. Like maybe in the state of asceticism when he was starving and undernourished and underhydrated and meditating under the Bodhi tree, he experienced delusions and, and some kinds of hallucinations that became the story that you're telling about, you know, the 12 demons yeah, that wonder, confronted him. Let's see. Was Buddha... Tempted before enlightenment. We reached the portion of the show today. <laughs> and now Greg is doing the reading of the. I love it. I, I love a, the curiosity about the show and our devotion to uncovering the mysteries of our own ignorance. Oh, so Dartha was tempted three times before he attained. Buddhahood. So Buddha triumphing over Mara. Mara was this little old lady who lived down the street from the tree, and she'd make this hallucinogenic tea that would then tie a person to damnation for all eternity. And it was offered to Buddha three times. And all three times, he would hit the Command-Z button on his keyboard. And said, no, thank you. And said, no, thank you. Wow. And so he eventually realized that his own suffering was not the cure for suffering. And he began to take on fluids and foods and bathing again. Thank goodness. Can you imagine that poor old lady probably had to hold her nose. Oh, here it is. Something. <laughs> yeah, here it is. In the course of his meditations, the Buddha was tempted by the demon Mara. Mara sent his armies, various temptations, and finally a challenge that the Buddha must defend his claim of enlightenment. The Buddha touched the earth and called the earth to witness his achievement. This touching the earth is seen as a significant gesture, mudra, in this sculpture. And you guys can't see the sculpture, but it's beautiful. You can share it. I could. But that would be only for the live audience on during the recording session. It wouldn't really come over too well. But this is beautiful. So there's this moment where there's this being that's like tempting him to stray from the path to his enlightenment. Yep. Oh, and he is going to share this. Oh, there it is. He's touching the earth. Yep. earth. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and so he discovered the Four Noble Truths. 
and she began to share them. Yeah, the first was life Mar- contains suffering. All oh, right, right, right. What is it? Life contains suffering, both physical and emotional suffering. That's the first noble truth. That's beautiful. And then the second is that the root of this suffering is our attachment and clinging to desire or to our own ignorance. That's beautiful too. And the elimination, the third noble truth is the elimination of craving and attachment is possible. And that this is the path to freedom. And the fourth noble truth. That the path to accomplish these things is called the eightfold path. Oh, so it's like three wishes, and the last one is I want five more wishes. So eight you get to the fourth noble truth, and you go, um, there's eight more noble truths to explore. Well, the third truth is that there is a path to freedom. Once you're understanding that the root of suffering is our attachment and clinging. And the fourth, and one, is, and the fourth one is that the there eight more noble truths. Right. Like you think you're at the end. You're at number three. There's a way out. All right. Yay. Just one more step. Yay. You get there. Oh, guess what? There's eight more steps. Oh, fuck. Well, the four noble truths aren't the steps. They're just the, the acknowledgement of the truth of reality, which is that there is a path. Yeah, I don't think four can really be said that it's a truth. It's more like Mara standing at your side with her hallucinogenic tea. Offering you this great temptation, you're like, yeah, fuck it. I thought I was done. I'll have that cup of tea. All of a sudden, you're back at the beginning. Ah, little crying baby. <laughs> well, what would you do if you found out there was a way to, to get to freedom, but no one told you what the path was? How would you get there? A lot of steps. Well, what if I could reduce that to eight for you right now? That'd be wonderful. Well, there you go. So the fourth noble truth is that there's eight steps to the path of enlightenment. Right, left, right, left, right, left. All right. Well, in that case, it's four steps. Well, it depends if you multiply or divide, you know, or march. But what's funny about it is that each of those things in the eightfold path are called right something. Not there's no lefts. There's just rights. So I guess you could say it's kind of like going. Yeah, they really hobble. Yeah. Hobble your way to Any of us are hobbling along the eighth fold path to freedom. We aren't yeah. quite making it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a sack race to freedom. Yeah, sack of meat. <laughs> That's why they call it a sacramentant. Sacramentant. <laughs> Incidentally, one of the eightfold paths is that. Right livelihood is no trading in living beings, arms, weapons, alcohol, poisons, or meat. So mm. you, you're not supposed to be a butcher if you're on the eightfold path to freedom. Mm. That's interesting. But you can eat meat. You just can't sell it. Uh, no. Oh, really? Because there's another path that says don't hunt meat? Uh, well, I wasn't there. I am not reading the Sanskrit. Uh, but okay. right action means no killing. No stealing, no killing, no sexual misconduct. So you can't kill the thing to eat it. But if it's already there, it's already and dead. You can eat roadkill. 
Well, and this is interesting because my teacher, the meditation teacher I studied under, Bema Kondro, she says that in Tibet, there's different paths and different practices. And, and because the Tibetan people don't have access to a vegetarian lifestyle very much, that goat, yak milk, and, and meat is, is okay. It's part of the reality that they live in. And That's because Martin Luther, after he created the Lutheran doctrine in England, he traveled to Tibet and split up the Buddhist practice there. Split it up how? By nailing a doctrine on the temple of 12 things that he said were real for Buddhism, just like he did back in England with Catholicism, and he started the Protestant by, you know, You're saying Martin Luther went to Tibet and, and decided right. that the Tibetans were doing it all wrong and that they should right. follow these 12 rules instead? Right, right, exactly. I'd never heard that before. That's interesting. And then later, his great-great-great-grandson, Martin Luther King Jr., yeah. led people to equal rights here in the United After States. After violence Right, right. Yeah. And he crossed the famous march over the Brooklyn Bridge in yeah. Alabama. The Selma. At Sel- in Selma. His oh, wife, Selma, crossed the no, Brooklyn no, Bridge. No, no, no. Stop it. Alabama. <laughs> the famous Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, jeez. They took the trolley for equal rights. So, so and it's glad. known as the trolley of rights, where the famous tennis player, um, Markilovich, what was her name? Something Markilovich, sat Arena? in the back of the trolley on the way over the bridge to show that she supported equal rights. And from that point I on, that she was actually alive at that point, but okay. <laughs> well. You know what they say, history is written by fools, and I am glad to be one of them. (laughs) (laughs) What they said is history is written by the victors, and neither of us us are named Victor, so. Oh, I'm changing my name right now to Victor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's hilarious. Anyway, today is a great day to celebrate uh, the, the ending of some of suffering and the practice of meditation and the promise that enlightenment awaits those who are willing to take the, the path. And in, as in uh, the great song by Prince, the latter, he says, not the former, the latter. Yeah, right. A great song by Prince. Yeah, the latter. Those who are last will be first. That's not what he says in the song. Get it right, Greg. Come on. He says, the barrel, the barrel. <laughs> he says, <laughs> what's that song? Oh, sister. <laughs> yeah, you're hilarious. <laughs> the steps aren't easy. The steps you take are no easy road. But the reward is great for those who want to go. That's what he says. Yeah, that reminds me. I've heard a, a teacher who was a meditation teacher say, like, starting off on, like, be sure you want to start off on the path. Because 
It's going to challenge you and you, you might go crazy. It's a fucking nutty, hard journey. Almost as bad as not starting on the path. Like in essence, he was saying the best choice is to do it, but just be ready because <clears throat> opening one's eyes is a tedious, bleak. <laughs> It's not what Siddhartha said. Siddhartha said, no, life is suffering. See, what a fucking Mobius strip it is. All for well, joy. It's a Mobius strip until you can step out of the duality of it and understand and, and recognize. Recognize. Yeah. I recognize. Now we're back to the trolley on the Brooklyn Bridge. For Wait, what's that the name of the trolley? The Recognize. The recognize. And there was a cog. Cognization. The remembering. Yeah. And if you can't remember, just make it up. The remember trolley. <laughs> Over the Brooklyn Bridge in Alabama with his wife, Selma. Oh, my God. You're doing it again. You're just going to. You got both teeth into that story. You're not going to let go. <laughs> You're the pit bull of this conversation right now. It's a good story. It's a good story. Yeah, it'd be a good Monty Python skit. Hey, you know, today's also the International Day of Light. That's kind of audacious. It's pretty badass. The guy, Theodore Mamain, invented the um, laser. Yeah. Where was he when he did that? I don't know. You, do you know? I don't. Theodore, let's look him up. Theodore Mamain. What a name. How would you like that name? Mamain. Sounds like Mamain man. Mamain. My main man. He was born in Los Angeles. He was born in Los Angeles and died in Canada. And he's widely credited with the invention of the laser. That's so interesting when they say he's widely credited. Like, oh, there's some debate going on. It could have been Mara with her hallucinogenic tea. <laughs> no, you're thinking a bicycle day now. Bicycle day. That's a bicycle that goes both ways. <laughs> yeah, forwards. A cycle. Exactly. You can go to the library or to the coffee shop in this case. Right. And back again. Yep. A cycle. A cycle that goes both ways. Attracted to both ways. It's interesting that we celebrate the International Day of Light. Don't interrupt me. <laughs> menstrual cycle. Today's National Piercing Day. How can we tie menstrual cycles and piercings? Oh, very easily. Let's not. Very oh, easily. my God. Let's not. All it's right. already happened. Everyone listening is now envisioning labia piercings. Lord. Won't you buy me a labia piercing? All my friends have nipple piercings. I cannot make amends. It's funny, National Piercing Day, as if piercing it was invented in our culture. Like piercing is so not our culture. We took it from we we absconded with yet another cultural practice from I think Africa and then also um, Polynesia, right? Yeah, but I'm of the mind of like BB King and. Uh, who else did I? What's the gentleman who got? Oh, come on! He was part of the Rat Pack and um, Sammy, Mr. Davis. Sammy Davis Jr. They're like, you know, once something's out in the world, it's for everybody. I agree. I'm just saying, 
What? Like National Piercing Day. When did we start Piercing that? Days. Well, that's a good question. And who started it? Who thought that was a good thing to celebrate? What the world needs now. More holes in there. Good piercing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've thought about getting a tattoo and I've never wanted to get pierced. And, yeah. uh, you know, my sisters could, just couldn't wait to get their ears pierced. You never even got your ears pierced? No, never. And my, at one point, my ex-wife really wanted to get her nose pierced. She wanted like a little diamond stud in the nose. And I was like, that's just gross. <laughs> and like I realize now that I was just being kind of close-minded. Like it would have been fine, ultimately. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how our opinions – oh, check this out. I was thinking about that yesterday. But how our opinions flavor the relationships we have. You know, Well, that's the whole point, right? Is it? That's the point of relationship is to be flavored by opinion? To be flavorful. Hmm. Well, yesterday, so uh, one Nobody of the morning Nobody likes milk toast, right? They, what? Nobody wants a milk toast vanilla, like boring. They want flavor. Oh, want- so you're saying milk toast and vanilla are not flavorful tastes? Well, on the flavor scale, there is milk, milk toast. What is milk toast? It is um, a very bland, hard, cracker-like substance that is as if stale bread had gotten to its extreme, but it's thin enough that you can crunch it like a cracker. Whereas with a, a stale slice of white bread, it's just a little bit too thick to be enjoyable as stale, unless you have tea to dip it in. And that's what milk toast is for is tea? Right, dipping in milk. And it's called milk toast. Like you could order, I'm looking it up right now. Can you order milk toast? Yep, you can. It's a cereal. A breakfast dish consisting of toasted bread and warm milk, typically with sugar and butter. Right, because it's so bland that if you didn't have sugar and butter, it would be boring. (laughs) New England region of the United States, milk toast refers to white people. Wait a second. (laughs) That's not right. Um, Are you okay? Mark is choking to death. I tried to talk while I was drinking my coffee at the same time. Oh, yeah, that is a, that is only for the enlightened one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what were we talking about before? Well, we were talking about theater mains invention of the laser and national piercing day. And naturally where that goes is, has anyone had their piercing done by a laser? And I don't think anybody has yet, but do people do, you know, have lasers. They, a lot of them like fuck with pilots with them, which is kind of bad, but. Hey, I've, I've, since you're involved with a community that's paying attention to cryptocurrency and NFTs and stuff. Yeah. What happened? What happened? Mr. Went. Well, thing, a lot of valuations went down way down. I think like saying went down is putting it, Milk toasty. Yeah. (laughs) I think they fell off the fucking cliff. Uh, Well, the cliff seems to also have had a bottom to it as well. Big bottom. And and if you look at the history of Bitcoin, for instance, you can see that this is part of a cycle. So that's what's happening is the menstrual cycle. Well, the 
crypto cycle. It's bleeding right now. It's purging. Um, well, it's actually, as of this moment, it's up 4%. Yeah, but it was down 30%. So, Right. So here's a picture of the history of Bitcoin, right? Okay, and that's the full history. Right, but go do so one day. It goes up and then it goes down. Yeah, but do one week. It goes up and then it goes down and then it goes higher and it goes Is down. Is that Ethereum? No, that's Bitcoin. <clears throat> what about so Ethereum? Because the reason I bring it up is we now have our all of our NFT collection is officially valued and for sale on the blockchain. Yeah, right. So here's Ethereum kind of doing a similar thing. Okay, um, but it's down the past year. Well, for the year, I, I don't know. I could tell you what it is for the year. For the year, it is negative 44% on the year as of this moment. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And then Bitcoin for the year is also negative 40% for the year at this point in time, right? Right. Measured by dates. So that's why people, it's a volatile market. That's why it's a crazy thing, right? But the beauty of our situation is you if you buy an, one of the NFTs from us, it's extra money. So it doesn't matter how valuable that Ethereum is, it's extra, no matter how you look at it. Yeah. And I know you said that you can transfer the money to a credit card, and that's one way you can spend your cryptocurrency. But <clears throat> well, should that ever one of happen? One the interesting things I was reading yesterday was that because of the cyclical nature of this price offset, you can use the the past to suppose now there's no guarantee, right? Future past results don't guarantee future performance. And by the way, I'm not giving financial advice right now. Just (laughs) (laughs) disclaimer. Um, But there is a, a recognizable pattern that would indicate that the next two years would have Bitcoin be down around the $20,000 mark, which is where it's floating around now. It's up at 30,000 right now at this moment, but you know, floating around between 20 and 30 is probably where it's going to be for the next couple of years. And then it'll go over 100,000. <clears> so if you were to dollar cost average, say put 100 bucks a month into Bitcoin in two years, it would be worth, I don't know, 10 times that value. Well, so you'd have a million bucks. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, and, and I'm not, you know, you, Bitcoin is a currency is kind of not very utilitarian because, but there are other coins that are, that are. So, you know, Ethereum. here's my theory about why it went down. Why I think it went down is that there's a bunch of Russian Bitcoin holders who can't get their assets because of everything that's going on in the Ukraine. And so they just sold and probably the Russian government was a big part of that, where they probably sold a whole lot of Bitcoin on the open market so that they could have access to assets to spend because they're hurting. And a big part of the, the, the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency world is, is, part, is part of you know, the Russian black market economy. So, hey, do you have any concerns about World War III happening? 
Um, well, I've, I've been thinking about it and reading about it. And, you know, at first I was worried because I felt like it was dangerous for the United States to be arming the Ukraine because Putin keeps threatening to consider it, you know, anything on any action by us, an act of war. And thus he would use nuclear weapons. <clears throat> and then I read an article yesterday that talked about the history of appeasement of Nazi Germany and how by people not stepping in early in the, in 39, it emboldened Hitler to keep going and he was able to build resources and then take territories and, and that that ultimately led to world war two because he wasn't stopped right away. And this person was saying that it right now, if NATO decided to attack Russia, that Russia is weak and that there's uh, its stockpiles are low and it would severely impact their ability to do more of this stuff in the future. Um, and my personal ethos, my values are that war is futile, that there's no reason to actually go to war anymore, that it's just a stupid idea overall. So while I recognize the strategic value of that article and it made me think, um, and I became more anesthetized to the idea of actually having a concerted attack against the Russian government. Uh, I still rest on the firm foundation that it's not right action on the eightfold path to commit violence and that I trust that. <clears throat> so the other thing is I worry about the economy crashing and I worry about the the facts of war and it's all part of a cycle, like a, a book I've been reading. <clears throat> oh, where is it? For those of you listening, Mark has got up and left to go to the library. Yeah. I don't have it handy, but it's, it's a book on the natural economic cycles of the Sneetches. superpowers superpowers. And so where we're at in terms of our evolution as a country in the United States is that we're on the backside of our rise to power and that nations that are in the state, the states we're in tend to go into decline. And if they, we can keep going. So they're on the decline. And so the things that forestall that are high levels of technological innovation or war. And those things tend to go hand in hand. We build, we create new stuff with war and, you know, so it makes sense that this is happening to preserve our status. I do you think it's a country that's on the rise? Well, according to this book and the formula it uses, it's China. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um. But weren't they a world power like centuries ago? Well, that's the thing. Empires rise and fall. Have you heard that quote that was attributed to Albert Einstein about the weapons of World War Three? 
Yeah, the, the World War III will be fought with nuclear weapons, and World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. No, he said, I don't know what weapons World War III will be fought with, but World War IV will be sticks and stones. All right, so the book you might want to check out is called The Changing World Order by Ray Dalio. Why Nations Succeed and Fail. And it's a statistical analysis. It's, and what I love about this book is that it has this way to read it. that It's designed to be read like cursorily, like, like subject to subject. And the way that works is some pages have bold print as heading, and you can just read those sentences through each page and get the gist and read the charts. And you could, so you could go through super fast and read the basic ideas. And then if you want to go into more and more detail, you can read each paragraph, right? Is that part of the... Yeah, he says in the introduction that the book is constructed in such a way that if you want to do it... No, but are you reading it because of a group you're a part of? No, I'm reading it because um, I was curious about how to anticipate the changing world order in my own life so that I could, one, advise my clients who might be CEOs or C-suite clients or understand for myself how I want to position myself in the world preparation. And the way I want to position myself in the world is hugging a tree. Okay. Because today is love a tree day. That's true. That is true. And man, we should really, really love trees because of what they did for Siddhartha. Yeah. You know, when he, when the, the tea was hitting the fan he reached down and touched the ground by the tree and all was well. And all was well. And yeah. then he slept with snakes, animal snakes, to show how peaceful life was. I never heard that part. Really? You haven't heard that story yet? Yeah, yeah. see, this is good that we're having this conversation. So after he was enlightened, he slept with the snakes? There's a story of, yeah, like one night it was really cold and he went to sleep and all these snakes slept in his robes for the warmth. And when he woke up and the people saw like him sleeping with all these venomous snakes and he was fine. I think that story alludes to the lamb and the lion, you know, lying down next to each other. There's a lot of stories that show that once you're in that peaceful state, all is peace. Yeah. And it's the fear of the snakes, which causes them to get concerned and want to bite you. Right. 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 If you're willing to share your heat, because you have no fear of death, right? Then right. you've got nothing to lose. <clears throat> yeah. Yesterday, when I was sitting in my meditation garden, it's it's now warm enough to sit in my meditation garden. So I have this beautiful spot that we built last year that's the ground cover is now covered and the rock circle and the ferns. It's beautiful. Like, it's amazing. So I was sitting and I didn't have um, a time frame for my meditation. So I was actually there quite a while. I don't even know how long it was close to 40 minutes or more. And there was a certain point where the birds started actually coming down really close to me and landing like nearby. I was so still. You were meditating with your eyes open. Well, at that point I had opened my eyes up until that point I had been closed eyes. But as I was like going to thinking about getting up and I could hear them, fluttering around. And so I got curious and I opened my eyes and they were landing like just a few feet from me looking for 
food. Bird food. And so I went in the house and I crunched up some walnuts really small. And I took them back out to the spot. And then about a half an hour, 40 minutes later, all the walnuts were gone. Nice. So that one of squirrels got them. You know, probably squirrels too. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's a good segue to today on this day in 1966. Do you know what's uh celebratory? One of the greatest albums ever recorded was released. One of the greatest albums ever recorded. By a true musical genius, Born of Pain, Brian yeah. Wilson. Aren't we all born of pain? It's a rare woman who says that was easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of menstrual cycles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pet, um, Pet Sounds was apparently the inspiration for um, uh, Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. But it was also, it changed the way people thought of arranging recordings. Like people in the music industry in the 60s all talked about how Pet Sounds just totally changed the, the game. Didn't he do was part of the engineering process that he created was bouncing tracks, you know, cause they just had a four track back then, right. In 65. And he was, he created a way to bounce tracks onto one tape and then record more tracks. And yeah. Um, I don't know exactly what the, the arrangement for pet sounds was, the Beatles had a four-track recorder. That was the best they had. And I think that Brian Wilson might have had access to an eight-track recorder by then, but I'm not certain of that. And, yeah, one of the ways that you could get more out of stuff would be to take the four tracks and mix it down to one and then pile stuff on. So you could get, if you did it that way, four tracks down to one, you could get 12 tracks out of that. But then you were kind of stuck with the way they were all mixed together on the one track. So you couldn't really, you know, go back and remix things as easily. Oh, the wrecking crew was part of that. Did you see that documentary? Yeah, the wrecking crew? documentary. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah. That's where I heard the guy talking about what a genius Brian Wilson was like, that's the first person you hear a lot of stories of him being a genius, but that seemed like a very grounded experience of a top notch musician saying, yeah, this is a guy who sat in that studio for Frank Sinatra, you know, Bing Crosby, like right, pretty right. much anybody right. was a, that did anything in um, Capitol records in those days used the wrecking crew because they were the house studio band and they knew what they were doing and they were really good musicians and you could put music yeah. in front of them and they would just do it as written. And, and I think what that guy said, um, I think that was the drummer, if I understand correctly. And what he said was that Brian would come in with the full arrangement already in his head. And so he'd have someone do this part on a, on a recorder and have him perform it, you know, like, and then he'd put it aside and they'd have like this guy do the, the temp, the bells, the, what's called the glockenspiel. Right. And then when he put it all together, you knew then what, how it all fit together was genius. Right. And, and in music, you have these ascending and descending lines called melodies. And when they relate to each other, that's called harmony when they're in sync, but when they're out of sync, and they still relate to each other. It's called point and no, counterpoint. Oh, and Bach was really great at that. And he wrote lots of things called fugues, which have this kind of mathematical precision to them. But 
what Brian Wilson did was he combined multiple melodies together to form points and counterpoints and harmony transitions that were just phenomenal. So these counterpoints would be independent and then all of a sudden they'd go past this spot and they would be this beautiful harmony at the same time. And so they would come in and out of these really amazing relationships. And, you know, to the lay ear, to someone who's not a musician, it still sounds amazing. It sounds beautiful. It's a beautiful work of art. But when you have the intelligence and the musical theory knowledge to get in there deeper and, and really understand the, the way it came together a piece at a time and that he heard it in his brain like that before anyone else did. That's, that's, that's the genius right there is that the vision was complete in his head. Man, yeah. listen to this lineup. Wouldn't it be nice? Classic. Then I don't really know these. You still believe in me. That's not me. Don't talk. Put your head on my shoulder. I'm waiting for the day. Let's go away for a while. Sloop John B. Another right. classic. And God Only Knows, another yeah. classic. I know there's an answer here today. I just wasn't made for these times. Pet Sounds, Caroline, no. Yeah. That's a, oh, Good Vibrations was recorded during that period. During the sessions, but it wasn't included on the Pet Sounds. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And that was the beginning of his acid trip days, too. Where he fell off, and it was Smile that they were in production with, where he just fell off completely. Well, he didn't fall off. What happened was he submitted Smile complete to um, Capitol Records, and they wouldn't release it because they wanted cars and L.A., you know, bikini girls, the surf sound. And it devastated him. And so that put him in a really horrific funk because he had created – Pet Sounds was the first step, but Smile was the true expression of his genius. It was just like horse hooves and and whir, whirring horns that were all tuned perfectly and timed perfectly. And and the chatter of, of people in the background, like it was all woven together in this amazing tapestry of sonic you know, composition. And the the album, they wouldn't release it. And Literally six months after that, Capitol released Sgt. Pepper, which was very similar in in its makeup. You know, it, it had a lot of the same kinds of psychedelic things. And Brian was so devastated by that that it really put him in a, a devastating funk. And the Beach Boys rushed out Good Vibrations, um, the album, under the sort of leadership of Mike Love and um, Brian's brothers, because those guys were, they were the touring band. Brian stayed at home and wrote and created this stuff in the studio without them. And they were still running around doing things like get, I get around and little deuce coop and, and, and they didn't understand it either. And they were worried. They were worried that there was no album coming out and their livelihood was going to come apart and that they weren't going to. So they, they put something out that was supposed to, to be what the Beatles sound or not the Beatles, but the beach boys sound like. And it languished for over 25 years. In Do you think the album that came out? Yeah, I remember that was early 2000s, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, do you think that was the album that Brian in, intended back in the 60s, late 60s? My understanding is yes. And the way I, the reason is there were people who had access to the vault who leaked bootlegs of stuff. 
because it was this every people knew it was there and they knew everyone was like, what's that record? Like we want to know. And people would find access to like sub mixes that had some of it or a couple of songs. And so over the course of the nineties, there was this one Japanese CD that came out that was all of the bootlegs as if they were in a track order. And then Brian was decided to go back and finish it. Once he got out of his funk and he was, uh, got himself away from Eugene Landy. He, he and his band at the time went back and they reconstructed parts of it and then re-recorded bits of it that weren't technically up to the standards mm-hmm. that they needed them to be. And then it basically was virtually the same as these bootlegs, except for the better technical pieces that, you know, they had access to the actual masters and they had the recording capabilities of a digital studio so they could sync things better and, and, the vocal parts were were re-recorded. I think I don't think they're the original vocal parts from Smile. Are you familiar with Pink Floyd's album "Adam Hurt Mother"? I know the title, but I'm not familiar with any of the music. It's pretty badass. You'd probably like it, but they use Motor Era, sixty-seven, sixty-eight, that kind of era. It was uh, seventy, I think, nineteen seventy, okay. and um, they use Alan Parson was the engineer on that. And he was really getting into like the, all of them. The, let's see, there were five members of Pink Floyd. So Alan, six, the six of them were really getting into like you were talking about with Brian, like using sound effects. There's a motorcycle that goes through and, and all these things. And it's part of the piece. It's a real, there's a, there's a track. So the first side is Adam Hart mother. It's like a 20 minute song, 22 minutes. The second side has, I think, five or six songs. One of them, the last one, is called um, Alan's Psychedelic Breakfast. And it's brilliant. It's really, it's like you hear, you know, like marmalade. I like marmalade and muttering and making breakfast, you know, eggs cracking, bacon sizzling, and, yeah. and this music. Like you hear this, like, you know, like an egg cracking. And the music goes, dong. Oh, yeah, it's pretty. It's a yeah. great album. So, yeah, in 1966, Pet Sounds released, and it causes this whole revolution in the way music is conceived of, recorded music is conceived of, and it's largely due to lysergic acid. The the, <laughs> the, whole, the whole acid trip thing. That, so we're back you know, to Mama's tea. What was right? the name? Right. And then eventually that becomes um, untenable for record labels because they're worried, right? And the, and the, the, the people who own these businesses are like, we can't have people like advocating for full on artistic release. It has to be commercial. It has to, and they begin to sort of de- rock and roll eventually gets replaced by disco. <laughs> and, and what that- was that Frank Zappa album? Like, um, and I think it was when he was with the Mothers of Invention. Like we sold, what was it? Um, oh, come on. I'm not sure what you mean. But one of the interesting no. things about Zappa was he wasn't, a, he didn't do acid. He didn't smoke weed. No, he was. But he yeah. had the mind of a, a truly expanded composer who could, who could relate to the breadth of all of that cosmic debris. Which is a, a a great way. Oh, don't, don't, don't. Yeah, Dane. 
I can't find his that guy released so many albums. There's an album I think where they called like We Sold, you know, Mothers of Invention Sellout or something like that. Right. Oh, then there's the Who Sellout. Right. Yeah. And eventually music begins to devolve and, and we end up with Devo yeah. in the eighties and nineties. And uh Are we not men? Yeah. We are Devo. And things are continuing to devolve. As the war in Ukraine continues. And out of each decay, a new growth is, is occurs. It's the never-ending cycle, Hakuna Matata. Do you think that we're evolving in a more positive manner? Or are things de-evolving to a negative outcome? Well, my personal philosophy is that the answer is yes to both questions. We are de-evolving. And then in the physical plane, we are deconstructing and um, creating a physiological chaos, which has disease rising and overpopulation and pollution and, and mutation, which is the sort of the ethos of Devo. But I also see that from another point of view, which has it that the great spirit, you know, God, whatever you, the creator, however you want to refer to the, the all, the intelligence of the universe, that that's all part of our evolution, that it's necessary for us to go through this in order for us to develop the, the depth and compassion of, uh, and understanding of what is beyond the limitations of the physical for us to go to the next step in our, our karmic or spiritual evolution. And so we, we have to be able to fuck shit up for real in order to learn the lesson of creativity and that then through the path of true freedom, actually being able to do whatever we want, we come to know what it means to be one with creator. Recording stopped.